0: Welcome to the Power of Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, and in this episode, our guest is Pat Berta, who is an extremely successful amateur golfer as well as a recovering alcoholic. Pat was born and raised in Modesto, California, played collegiately at Stanislaus State, is a two time Del Rio Country Club champion, and the current Dryden Park Golf Course Club champion. Pat also serves as captain of the RACDG NorCal Golf Society and has caddied in multiple PGA Tour events. Pat candidly admits that his road to golfing success involved a lot of alcohol, and that it is now his focus to play sober and help others do the same. So please listen in as Pat tells some truly compelling stories about his relationship with his father, mental and physical health on and off the course, why quitting alcohol has helped him move past seeing golf as a pressure-filled roller coaster, and why he continues to love the sport and the joy it brings him.
1: Going? I'm well. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for taking time tonight. It's really nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. I don't want to take too much of your time, but should we just jump jump right in here and and talk about your journey to where you are now in golf? How'd you get started? What was the first uh, course you played? How old were you? So I was
2: born and raised around the game. My father was and is still an accomplished amateur golfer here in Northern California. That's where I'm from, the Central Valley of California. Shout out Modesto. Born and raised here. And yeah, my dad just was always practicing and getting ready for tournaments himself. We were members at the local country club here in Modesto del Rio. So surely that was probably my first round. And yeah, I just remember going out with him after work or after school as a boy, six, seven to eight years old. And going to the range or playing a few holes with him. I, I vividly remember summer evenings this time of year where it's a little toasty and there's nobody really out there and sun's setting and really a sense of nostalgia when this time of year rolls around and, and thinking about growing up and those summer nights with dad. So that's how I got started. I played a lot of sports growing up. I played soccer and baseball and basketball and my my dad was a good athlete. I just explored all sports, and when I was about thirteen years old, I I wanted to focus on golf. I wanted to try to play in college and stop playing baseball and soccer, dropped everything, and started to play golf. Yeah, that's how I got started into it. Played high school, played some collegiate golf, and I'm 41 now, so that doesn't seem that long ago. But it's about 20 years ago we were playing college golf, and that was about that's about Utopia, and is playing college golf. Go to a couple of classes in the morning and then go either play 18 holes in the afternoon or, or go at the driving range. Didn't realize it then, but looking back on it now. Tell me a little bit more about
1: those memories when you were a kid, because it sounds like there's some nostalgia there of these summer nights, like you said. And by the way, I'm from the east of the Bay Area, so we get pretty hot summer nights like that. So when you were describing that, I can really relate to that. So no one was out there, right? But your dad was an accomplished golfer. Was that why you were there? Because he was training for these these tournaments that he was taking part in?
2: Yeah. My dad and I are close. and so. I think growing up, just like a lot of boys, I wanted to do what he did. So yeah, he was playing golf, so I wanted to go play golf. And seven, eight, nine years old, for me personally, I didn't have a sense of getting ready for tournaments or myself, anything like that. But I knew that he was preparing for something. I knew that he was taking this sport of golf seriously. My dad was a, a successful businessman, a banker, and and so his he would have to practice and and get ready for his events during that time of day. (laughs) And yeah, just for whatever reason, no, I I just vividly remember being very quiet out there. I just don't think a lot of people, I love playing in the evening times. I love playing in the mornings. I love playing in the evenings. I like to play when there's not a lot of people out there. That seems to be the time of day when it's nice and quiet. And and we would just zip around, take a golf cart out and and play four or five holes. And in an hour, I remember my dad dropping two or three balls at a time and trying different shots. And I think that really taught me a sense of golf practice and getting ready and trying to prepare for my sport, which is golf, doesn't necessarily look like just going to the driving range and get a big bucket of balls and just smashing it for 90 minutes. That's not how my dad's prepared for things. And so that's how I, my practice was on the course. and trying to put myself in situations that I would face in tournaments. And that's how he practiced. And so that's how I learned to practice. And uh, yeah, like I said, just really great memories of late evenings after dinner and uh, getting a good sweat in. I remember my dad talking about getting, if we did hit balls, just, got it felt good to sweat. Felt good to get a good sweat going out there. So I always enjoy the heat. And yeah, those summer nights bring back good memories. What about that
1: training, Pat? Is it, do you credit that with your success, that that kind of training?
2: That specific sort of art yeah. yeah. I think with golf specifically, Aaron, a lot of people, it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult sport to get into and then con- feel like you're conquering and get and improve at it and improve drastically. And so... You don't need to tell me that part, Pat. I already know. <laughs> everybody, honestly, everybody knows that. Whether you're a scratch golfer, a 30 handicapper, or it's an incredibly difficult, maddening game. But I think it's, I think a lot of people, wherever they're at in that journey, tend to focus too much on the mechanics and the, am I at the right angles? And am I in the right P1, P2, P3? And I'm just, and I, honestly, I tend to start to blaze over when that stuff Gets brought up. I'm not a mechanical golfer. I've only really had a couple of official less real golf lessons with a pro in my life. I self taught. So, yeah, it's for me, it's not how I'm going to get better. It's not going, like I said, not going to the range. It's going out, walking nine holes, playing two or three balls at a time, not playing with other people while I'm doing this. This is my time. My if I have 90 minutes or a couple hours, I have a nice arrangement where with my golf course that they let me go just walk six, five or six or seven holes or whatever, and only takes an hour and throw some balls in the rough or throw some balls in a bad lie or practice some bunker shots or practice some pitches or chips that you wouldn't get on a driving range, uneven lies, things like that. Just try to simulate situations on the course that... uh Maybe other people aren't preparing that way, so I feel like I have an advantage. I would say, looking back on my golf career era, and I wish I probably would have practiced a little bit more just in terms of the x's and the o's and the hitting the range a little bit more and and doing some more drills when I was in college and I was playing college golf, I probably should have focused a little bit more on that and, and had a little bit more instruction, but listen that it's neither here nor there now, and I know. Being 41 years old, I know what's effective for me in practice and preparation in my body. And if I have a tournament in three weeks or a month, say a month, say I have a, a big tournament a month, I really want to get ready for, I know, okay, what I need to do three weeks out, two weeks out, a week out in terms of what I'm eating, what I'm doing training-wise in the gym, uh, what I'm doing on course, what I'm doing on the driving range. And, and yeah, I just think with that comes, with experience comes... Knowing how your body's going to react leading up to the event and then ultimately day of. And I think that goes for any sport. I think if you're a 15-year-old football player, you're going to eat a bunch of candy bars before your game. You're not going to do that as a 40-year-old athlete better. Just from experience, what to put in in your body and how to prepare. I think it's always a journey. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to tweak things and tweak your preparation and see what how your body reacts or If you improve or not and always be improving, that's yeah, whether that's in business or life, it's a cliche, but I found that part of my golf career now that I'm, like I said, in my forties, really playing with my golf swing or playing with my preparation, or is is this going to give me a little bit of an edge? I'm a zero handicap. And so going from a zero to a plus two is a difficult thing to do, but that's a goal. And I think I know how to get there. And now it's just implementation and finding the time. So, and is that, is that your current goal right now to, to go plus two? I hadn't really thought about it till I just set it. They had a specific goal. I think, I think if I had to set a goal, that would probably be a good goal. I'm a, like I said, I'm, I'm hovering right around that zero range right now. And if I put in the right work and I do the right stuff and I don't play a lot of rounds of golf, Aaron, so I don't post a lot of scores. And so that, my handicap isn't going to fluctuate just based on that just because I'm not plugging a lot of scores in but I want to be able to know that when I do play around the golf whether it's in a tournament or with my buddies for $20 that I am prepared that I am going to bring my best to the golf course that day and try to score my best and ultimately that'll lead to a lower handicap right it's always that those little those little things we do to get to the big goal i don't really I don't, like I said, I don't really think of it in those terms. I just, I think about, okay, this week, I I want to work on these, these things. I, I want to work on my 50 yard pitches, my four foot putts and getting some swing speed exercises in. I, I want to work on making sure my, I'm I'm swinging hard and, and being 40 years old that I'm still maintaining swing speed. So that's how I look at things. I just lay out things I want to work on and, and fine tune and over two or three months hopefully the results start to come
1: yeah take me through a a tournament that you've played recently what's what's that because you're obviously a very successful golfer and and you're still competing even though college is in the the distant past it is for me as well i know you talk about it with nostalgia (laughs) (laughs) but what's it like when you're playing in a tournament these days what what kind of tournaments are they and what's it like
2: so living in northern california we have a great I guess would call it a, a, it's the Northern California golf association puts on and sanctions all of the tournaments in Northern California throughout a year. And those can be what are called majors, which are hosted over in the Monterey peninsula area that are like officially put on by the Northern California golf association, Mm -hmm. or there can be these little city tournaments throughout the year. And we just had the Modesto city two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. Uh, Modesto City's hosted by the two local public courses here in town and there's different flights there's the championship flight for guys like me there's the first flight for handicaps like 5 through 10 then the second flight so on and so forth there's a senior flight there's a women's flight so it's really a two-day golf festival here in Modesto like I said it's called the Modesto City Golf Championship and you'll have the Sacramento Golf Championship you'll have the Oakland City you'll have the merced county golf championship but most of these are all saturday sundays throughout the year and they'll get gosh 30 40 50 competitors in each flight ranging from up-and-coming high school players to guys my age in the championship that are getting ready if maybe for the senior flight here in few years. so all amateur players nobody's playing for a check per se nobody's getting cash in their bank account the next day like tour pros are the first place guy in these events will win a couple hundred dollars to the pro shop which will allow him to stock up on golf shoes and golf balls for a few months but yeah so we just had the modesto city and that was for me that's my for this year's at least my major that was my one that i wanted to get ready for just with life and work and things like that i I knew i'm not going to be able to play in a lot of things this year. So I really wanted to get ready for that and, and give a hundred percent and make sure I was well-prepared and felt like I did. And it was a really cool tournament, Aaron, in that my, my dad who I mentioned, my dad's 70 years old. He's won the Modesto city a couple of times, gosh, 25 years ago. And he's played in the senior flight now a few times, but he hasn't played in it in about 15 years. And, okay. uh, he texted me about a month ago, and he said, hey, i am thinking about playing in the senior flight of the Minnesota City. What do you think? And I said, listen, play in the championship flight with me. I, I don't know if I'm you're going to be able to play in it again, or I don't know if we're going to be able to play together an event. Sign up. Let's see if we can get paired together. So long story short, he signed up for the championship flight, which he can he's fully capable of competing in. And and so we got paired together in the first round. So Dad and I played together in the first round together. Oh, it's fun. I can't remember the last time we played a tournament round against each other or competing against each other. I don't know if we have. I was trying to remember, but I don't think we've been paired together going back now 25 years of playing in these things. So really fun memory, really great day. Dad shot 74 in the first round. I shot 75. So he got bragging rights at dinner. In her that night. But as we all know, golf is a, these things are not one round events. This was a two round event. He shot uh, 75 in the next round and I shot 73. So I nipped him by, I nipped him by one, 148 to 149 hey, hey, hey. rounds. So that was fun. Really great memory. But yeah, I think that was a great, the Monesto City was a great example. The winner ended up being, I think he's a 19 year old college player from Claremont McKenna. <laughs> So obviously a really intelligent kid who's probably going to go on to not play professional golf. He's probably going to be a scientist or something like that, but just this little 130 pounds soaking wet college kid who looked like he couldn't hit it out of the shadow, but he obviously was a great player. He shot 66, 72 and put up some great scores. And I think the second place guy was a kid that I played junior golf with who I hadn't seen in 20 years. So that was great to see him. And then the third place guy was a local guy and that I know. And then I took fourth. And so just a really nice wide variety of backgrounds and golfers and who these guys are that are playing in this thing. A college kid, a couple of mid amateurs, a local beer drinking guy, and and then my dad and I, fourth and fifth. That's a pretty good example of kind of what we play in, what I play in. My yeah. dad more national stuff. Now that he's retired, he's a little bit more accomplished player and gets invited to play some great golf courses and some great events around the country. But me personally, I kind of stick to the Northern California region, which you listen, I get to compete against guys I've known for years and uh, it's a lot of fun. Keeps me young.
1: Yeah. It must be a lot of fun to see uh, people that you've played junior golf with and not just your dad, but getting to spend time with other friends at these different tournaments. What is it like in the tournament when you plan against somebody that you're friendly with? Are you pretty competitive with them?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm competitive, but I, my on-course demeanor tends to be chattier. Not, not just like in my own world, I'm not going to talk to you for four and a half hours. A thing there, are, my, dad's, my dad is like that. That's how he's very just when the peg gets put on the ground in the first tee box till well, the last putt is hold on the 18th. He just is going to walk down the fairway by himself, and he's going to focus on his shots. He's not angry with anybody, he's not uh, sure. upset with anybody. He's not. He, just doesn't, he doesn't like it. That's just his on-course demeanor. That doesn't generally work for me. I tend to get in my own head. Lee Trevino, who's a great golfer from the '60s, '70s, and '80s, Lee Trevino had this gregarious way about him. And I kind of, if I can channel my inner Lee Trevino when I'm out there and keep it loose, that's what I'm going to play my best. Which mm. All I'm trying to do is play my best. I want to beat you. I want to, at the end of the day, I want my score to be better than yours, but it's not life or death for me. It's not, it's certainly not worth like alienating friends or anything like that. I, a lot of these guys, if I, surely if I haven't seen them in years, I want to know how they're doing. I want to catch up with them. I want to know what they're doing for work and where they're living and how their family is. And in that sense, it's great to catch up with them. It's total camaraderie and but I do want to beat them. I, I look at my dad and I look at the guys that he competes against, these 70 year old guys, and they've been, they've known each other now for literally 45 years that they've been playing against in these silly tournaments at the Merced County and the Minnesota City and the Stockton County and these things. And it's these guys have been playing in these things for that long, four decades, and they still talk a little bit of trash. They still want to beat each other, but they're, they're truly like, the the friendships that have developed out of it are, it's cheesy, but it's truly what it's about for them, and they talk about it, and and that's what I'm starting to see now that I get a little older, and I'm, and it is cool. It is one of the great byproducts of the sport that I play and being able to compete against, yeah, guys that I used to in the old days. So yes, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and it occurs to me that when I play golf, Pat, the competition oftentimes is between me and the course. Part of the reason for that is I'm not very good at golf, so competing against another human being wouldn't be really fair to them. But what do you make of that? In golf, you've got the competition against others, but also against the, yourself, against the course. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that I think for me personally, golf is is very much a a spiritual journey and a spiritual experience when i'm out there especially if i'm out there at 5 30 or 6 a.m and i'm the only one out there and it's the sun's coming up i that's there's more to golf at that point than birdies and bogeys on the scorecard Mm -hmm. which is how we measure ourselves right in golf is by our score i compete in tournaments obviously the score is the dictating factor there but i'm competing against myself when i'm preparing let's just say in that month leading up i'm preparing I wanna know how I played last year in that event. I want to know how I played two years ago. I want to know how I played five years ago. Me personally, I think when I was younger, I think a big problem I got into was comparing myself to the other players leading up to a tournament. Knowing who was gonna be in that tournament, looking, knowing what kind of ability that golfer was, knowing who, you know, who I was gonna be competing against, and and just adding a whole other layer of like anxiety and tension that just doesn't serve anybody well. And so if I'm going into a tournament now, I don't really care who's signed up for it. I don't care who I'm competing against. All I can control, I can't control it. I can't control the weather. I can't control the ball after it's left my club face. All I can control is really like the 30 seconds after I figure out my yardage and I've picked out my golf club And I visualize the shot. That's what I can control. And then I make my swing. And from there, nothing's, I I can't control anything. And yeah, I compete against, like I said, the the, past version of myself, current version of myself, and try to set goals, obviously, personally going forward. I love competing, whether it's for $20 or in big tournaments. But at the end of the day, for me, I, I just, it's about the walk and it's about just the joy that I get with hitting a golf shot and literally just going and finding it and doing it again and trying new stuff and trying new golf shots, trying shots I haven't hit before or I've struggled with. And so that's always, that's a, I guess that's a version of competing against myself, better myself and better my game. And so uh, going back to that continuous improvement, right? Just- yes. To hone skills and and trying to put new tools in the toolbox. Yeah. And if I can do all that stuff, Aaron, obviously the success and beating, quote unquote, beating the other guys will will come.
1: And as I'm hearing you talk about golf, sort of spirituality, Pat, I'm thinking about it's a pretty slow game compared to you mentioned you played other sports growing up, soccer, obviously, comparatively speaking. Does the speed of the game have any impact on you in terms of that? Because it would seem like there's. Ample time for that self-reflection when you're playing, especially in the way you play, right? You like to get out
2: early. You like to play by yourself. Yeah. Boy, we could, we could have a whole other podcast on on slow play plaguing the game of golf, whether it's slow yeah. play with the pros or slow play out of your muni. But I wish people would play a little faster. and. We're just ready to go and it was their turn, but that's a, whole, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, I just think when I'm out there and I'm out there by myself, I really, like I said, I really enjoy playing by myself and I'm just having a nice stroll and I'm just, I'm literally just, I got the push cart and I'm just having a stroll and I can put on some music or put on a podcast or put on nothing and just think and reflect. I've tried as I've gone down this mental health, improvement journey I've been on. I've tried to do the meditation thing. Mm -hmm. I've tried to do the yoga thing and I struggle with, I certainly struggle with the the meditation and sitting still and being still with my mind. But I feel like when I'm out there by myself and I'm walking and I'm having a nice stroll and there's nobody behind me pushing me and I don't feel like I have anybody in front of me, the group ahead of me is holding me up and, and I'm just at my own pace and I can think about and tackle what's going on inside of my head. That's a good time to do that. Obviously, if I'm playing in a tournament and I'm coming down the last few holes, I'm not going to be real reflective on the week coming up or planning work stuff, but I can do that. I can do that when I'm playing by myself. And I feel like I can get a lot done mentally in terms of calming myself down. And all this goes into, I'm not trying to shoot a golf score when I'm out there doing this. It, playing by myself at 6 a.m. I'm just literally trying to hit the center of the face and then find the ball and do it again and try, like I said, try new fun stuff and not have a, not have the pressure of trying to shoot a score. And so when I can get out of that mindset, then I can enter this mindset of, this is my meditative place. This is my place of reflection. This pace that I'm at, that I'm walking at is my pace. I can choose my pace. That's the perfect, that's the perfect round of golf for me.
1: Golf is an interesting game in that way, isn't it? There is pressure, but there's also time to think about what the pressure does to you. Right? Yeah.
2: And it, you know, it, Bubba Watson talked about this once. He's Bubba's a great golfer for 20 years, and 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 he's won a couple of majors. And he's been very open about his struggles with mental health, and just he's if you if you just didn't know anything about him and you saw the a few interviews with him, you'd, you'd just be like, all over the place. And he's just, a, he's got a lot going on, but he's got, he's self-admitted, he's got ADD mm-hmm. and or ADHD. And so for him, he has said that golf is a perfect sport for him because for him or a perfect job for him, because for four hours when he's on the golf course, from the time he hits his golf shot to the time he gets to the next shot, he can think about the birds and the, the people in the crowd or what's going on. He can think about whatever, but once it's once he gets up to the ball and it's time to lock in, then he can lock in, which I struggle with ADHD and, and all those that do know that we, we have those moments where we do focus really well. And we and we have to take advantage of those. And so for Bubba, for myself, I find the same way. It's about the only thing I have in common with Bubba, but it is that I enjoy that about golf is that I can If I want to, I can think about and listen to some music. I can talk to my co, my, my competitors or just get lost in my own world. But I know that when it's time to hit my shot, I can focus. I need to focus. I will focus. And then, and then pull the trigger and go. It is a very interesting pace to it of, I, it is the only sport. I feel like it's one of the only sports where it's baseball and tennis and all these other sports are very soccer, all very reactive. Mm -hmm. And golf, this stupid white ball is just, it's just sitting there. It's just sitting there. It's taunting. It's taunting me. It's tempting me to to hit it hard. I hit it perfect. You're not going to hit this perfect. It is just, and then you have to, you have these five minutes where you're thinking about, oh my God, I just. I just hit a shot that I haven't hit in 10 years. Am like, is that going to happen again on this next shot? Or when's it going to happen again? And oh my God, I got to be ready to go. And oh, oh geez, I was almost my, it's almost on my turn to hit and things can get moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. My buddies and I use that term a lot when you've hit, two shanks in a row or something like things are moving very quickly for John over there. You think your world's spinning. You're the, you don't even feel the club in your hands. You can't even get your mind is so scrambled, but in order to be successful, you just got to be able to take a deep breath and just literally take a deep breath and just settle down, calm yourself down, regroup. What do I got? All right, let's do it again. Let's hit the shot And just nobody cares. Just keep up keep your pace up. That's all anybody really cares about. You may feel like you look like an idiot out there, but as long as you don't throw any clubs, keep your pace up, nobody cares if you shoot 120 or 75. But yeah, we fight those battles. There's wisdom in that.
1: that There really is. Not just on the golf course, but there's real wisdom there. And I know you, when we talked earlier, you mentioned that earlier in your life as a golfer, drinking was a part of the experience for you. I'm curious if you want to talk about that a little bit more here, because as you mentioned, golf and drinking on the course, they go hand in hand for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, they do. And they did for me. And I know I mentioned a little bit about that to you earlier. I'm just, just for the audience's context, I realized I had a problem with drinking about four years ago. And it's been a, it's been a, a journey since then with a few relapses, but I'm uh, almost eight months eight months alcohol free now. Oh good, uh, for you. good Aaron, for you. Aaron, thank you. And yeah, I, I think it's um pertinent to this conversation in that I got into the to the habit of drinking while playing golf and drinking while playing competitive golf and having success while drinking and playing competitive golf. And so I think I th- There's a thousand reasons why my drinking became an issue, but it really became an issue on the golf course. And looking back on it now and and looking at how well other golfers, whether they're pros or guys I compete against, take care of their bodies. Everybody's taking care of their bodies now and everybody's in tip top shape. I feel like when I go now to a tournament, I'm in tip top shape. But I look back on it now and I'm just like, geez, I don't know. I don't know really how I did it. I it was, I was drinking. I would drink Jack Daniels on the golf course and it didn't matter if it was 105 or it was 65 degrees out. I felt like I needed that, that buzz to feel relaxed and have a syrupy smooth swing and play well and quote unquote, be in the zone. And yeah, I just convinced myself of that over the years. And and I'm looking back on it now. Unfortunately, a couple of my, my best rounds that I ever played were when I was, while I was drinking. And so, You have this false sense of, this is how I'm going to be successful. This is how I'm going to shoot my best score. If my tea times at 7 a.m., in order for me to be at my best today, I need to have a couple of drinks, was the mindset, the mindset that I was in. And listen, as anybody that has fought alcohol or any type of addiction knows, it's a slippery slope between what works before delving into what starts to not work. And- for a few years, I was able to, to do that and drink while playing and shoot good scores and, and win some tournaments and have some success. But up until my decision to really address my drinking, it started to, I would literally, the last few holes of my round, would I would look back and say, boy, you were drunk. And so you, you just, you played those finishing holes terribly. You were not playing your best golf, even though you may have, Think you were, or convinced yourself you were, looking back on it. The data is telling you that it's not there. But with any addiction, it, it's hard to get yourself to to stop. And it had obviously started to seep into other areas of my life, and so needed knew I needed to address it, and have have taken the steps I, I think to put myself in a position to be able to get on a golf course and or in a golf tournament, or in a high-pressure situation at work without feeling like I need to drink. And playing in the Modesto City Golf Tournament that we talked about earlier, played in that obviously a couple of weeks ago, and was clear-headed and sober and felt like I played well and, and hit a lot of great golf shots. But more importantly, Aaron, I feel like just the demeanor and just the the emotional roller coasters of living and dying with every golf shot is is not there anymore, which is good. That's a good thing, I think. If we can reduce the the emotional up and downs, for me at least I'm gonna I'm gonna have more energy at the end of the round, emotional energy, physical energy. And so when I was drinking, obviously I'd make a couple of birdies and I'd get all excited, or I'd make a couple of bogeys and I'd you know, feel like the the world was ending because you're emotional. You're drinking, right? That's just what happens. And I think now I'm just like in anything in life now, I'm just a little bit more level headed and more apt to handle a double bogey. On the golf course, better, and a, a metaphorical double bogey at work, better, or something like that, or and yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. Golf has helped me. It's helped me. It's helped me get better for sure. We have to try to, as a recovering addict, we have to try to fill our time with meaningful, productive activities and, and hobbies. And I think a lot of people struggle with doing that. And for me, I, I had a nice built-in way to to find something to do to take the place of drinking. Now the challenge for me was that I had done a lot of drinking while doing that. Right. So right. I, I had to find the joy and the peace of mind to and the love of doing it, going out to the golf course and competing and doing all those things sober. So yeah, it's been great. It's been a great journey. I've met a lot of great golf sober buddies over the last four years that have been fantastic. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of golfers out there that don't drink. I was surprised by that. I think looking back on it, there's a lot of there's a big golf sober adjacent community out there. And it's been great. I've been very lucky. I've been very blessed. And are there any
1: kind of specific coping mechanisms that you or maybe strategies within golf that have helped you with your recovery?
2: Um yeah, I just think the old mantra of I don't go to AA meetings as much as I did in my early sobriety, but a big, uh, I guess, slogan is one day at a time. Everybody's heard that. Everybody's heard addicts or alcoholics say that one day at a time. And that's just simply just focus on today and get through this day and make this day great. And I think for golf, it's one shot at a time. And I can't control the last hole and I can't control what I'm going to do on the next hole. I can't control two shots from now. I can't control that. I can just control the shot. And I felt like as I've gotten older, that mindset of having a short memory, not letting what happened yesterday or on the last hole bother me, not being worked up and anxious about the next hole is going to help me. And those things apply in people who are trying to stay sober, right? Don't worry about the past too much, learn from it, but don't stress about it. And don't, don't feel anxious and stress about the next day and what's going to happen. Just worry about today. Give a hundred percent to today to, to whatever you're doing. But if it's sobriety, then just focus hundred percent that you're not going to do whatever you need to do to prepare yourselves that at the end of the day, you're going to, you're going to hit the pillow sober. And on the golf course, just make sure that everything you do leading up to the next shot is going to prepare yourself to hit the best shot you can. Make sure you're looking at the wind, make sure you got the right yardage, make sure you're paying attention to what your other people you're playing with, what their ball did up by the green when it hit, did it bounce over the green cuz the cuz the green was firm or did it land really soft because it was a wet spot? Learn from your surroundings. Learn from just what's going on around you. I think if you can do that in your day-to-day life, if you're trying to stay sober, I think that'll help you.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing that with yeah. me. I'm curious what you think of John Daly. Everybody knows John Daly, the pro golfer who I think has almost be, become synonymous with drink, with the kind of intersection of drinking and, and golf. And there's even a Drake named out there, right? That's an Arnold Palmer drink.
2: Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on him? What an unbelievable talent. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that name is what a truly one of the great talents, athletic golf talents, certainly golf talents that have come across our game in the last 40 years. And if you looked at the guy, if anybody doesn't know who we're talking about, I I urge you to open up the Google machine right now. Yes, indeed. John Daly Golf and look at any number of images that pop up of this young man. But yeah, John has been open and honest with his his battle with alcoholism since he really came on the scene in 1991. He won a major in 91. He won the British Open, another major in 1995. And really his drinking and his issues with his drinking and relationship issues and domestic violence issues and things like that really started to come to the forefront in the mid-90s. And so that's really been a part of his... um, his lore since then and it is interesting aaron to see the sort of him develop into this john bunyan character right this larger than life certainly from his golf talents but because he'll play golf with you shirtless and drink a bunch of beers and i don't even know to be honest with you i don't even know where he's at in his sobriety journey he made a big deal about when he won the British Open. He was sober. He was not drinking then. And he's had these moments of sobriety where he's been very open. But I think he's I think he's back drinking now. But don't quote me on that. But yeah. I don't know either. Pat. Yeah. But I think it goes I think it speaks to a larger kind of issue with with just the glorifying of alcohol in society, Aaron. I think that's We could have a whole other podcast on that. I think booze is bad for you. I think I understand why people do drink. If you do drink, I don't, I do not hold that against you. I can, I am around alcohol. I am around buddies that drink. I don't think anything less of friends and acquaintances that do drink. I just, I wish it wasn't put out in society so prevalently and so in your face and attractively. It goes back to when we were kids and you still see it. So to see to cease to, to, to circle back to John Daly, to see somebody who's going to go down in history and known as the party boy, wild guy with the mullet who hit the ball a long way and drank a lot. I think it's sad because I think his talent far exceeds his drinking ability. Truly will not get discussed enough what his talents will not be discussed enough 40, 50 years, 100 years down the road. And that's sad. And so, listen. I, I can only worry about myself. I can only worry about my, my my issues with alcohol. And I can't judge anybody else. I can't judge John Daly. I can just I just wish that I just wish more people would appreciate what he did on the golf course than yeah, uh, sure. than than what he did with a, a beer can in his hand.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it occurs to me too. John Daly is the most publicly known golfer of our day that is, has also struggled with these issues. And I'm sure there's other professional golfers out there who have substance abuse issues of some kind or another. And of course we know that exists in all sports, but I'm curious if you think there's anything particularly about golf. We talked earlier about the pressure sitting over the ball and the ball's tempting you and it's, it's a difficult game to be average at, at your level with playing in tournaments. Winning tournaments, the pressure I would imagine, although I can't speak to this because I'm not good enough to know, but I would imagine the pressure is more at that level. And look, your dad, a very successful golfer as well. So I'm curious, is the pressure of golf
2: somehow an issue here? Yeah, I think it certainly can be. If you hear, it's funny, you hear other athletes from other sports, professional athletes, whether they're basketball players or baseball players or football players, Guys on the biggest stages and Super Bowls, Tom Brady said this, Aaron Rodgers has said this. They say that they don't feel, they, they feel more pressure on the first tee of an outing, a tournament, golf with buddies. They feel more pressure on the first tee with everybody looking at them, everybody being eight people or 20 people, than with 100,000 people in a stadium. So that's got to tell you something about the pressure. Sure does and the mindset of this, this specific sport that we're talking about here. And I think it goes back to the, what we talked about earlier, not being reactionary. I think the top athletes are so good, are such good athletes that their, that their reactions in their respective sports are so good that they can play other sports that have reactive sort of tendencies and pick it up and do well, but golf is not that way. And like we said, it just sits there. That ball just sits there and you got to hit a a ball. that's not even moving. It's like getting a ball off of a tee, a baseball off of a tee. That's one of the hardest things you can do in baseball, but I don't know. It's got to be, it's got to be that pressure. I think it's, I think it's the pressure of people watching us. I think it's the pressure of knowing that it's an incredibly difficult sport that we're playing we all know golf is difficult, whether you, like I said, whether you're a scratch golfer or a 30 handicapper, inherently, this is a, this, this is tough, man. What I'm trying to do right now is hard. This is difficult. Yeah. This is yeah. frustrating. I gather that. And so, yeah, I think, so we put pressure on ourselves and how we self-medicate. Yeah, I think golf physically allows us to probably self-medicate during the actual playing of the sport more than other sports, I don't think. I think you're going to see a lot of football players or basketball players taking down a, a double jack on the rocks but halftime, they're going to throw up everywhere uh, yeah. once they start running, where um, I could do that. I could do that while I play golf. But if I just drink enough water and, and, and try to counter with Gatorade to stay hydrated, I could do that. And I think just the physical nature of golf or the, I guess the lack of physicality to golf allows us to drink a little bit more or self-medicate more than other sports do you but miss probably, but you probably miss,
1: yeah probably sorry to interrupt you what was that
2: Pat? i was just gonna say probably the pressure though.
1: the pressure yeah do you miss it when you're on the course miss drinking
2: i miss i miss after the round mm-hmm. have a cold having having a cold one like and just with the boys but I'll have a non-alcoholic beer, I'll have a diet soda and and it's fine it suffices it's it that 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 accomplishes my goal of sitting around with the boys with a pop in my hand. And so I don't I I really I haven't thought of one instance in the last 6 months where I've been playing golf Aaron and I've thought this would be better this would be better if I was drinking right out. So I I can't say I can't say, I can't say that. Yeah. I I can't say that I do miss it or I've thought that. That's really inspirational.
1: And I appreciate you sharing that with me. And I I always end these shows by asking my guests about what the power of sports means to them. And it sounds like it's been a pretty significant aspect of your life. It's been a significant part of your life in in many ways. And so I'm curious if you would like to reflect on that now. What does the power of sports, particularly golf, mean to you?
2: I think two things come to mind for me and power sports allows me to stay close to my family
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I I get to do something I get to play golf with my dad and my sister is a good player my mom plays a little bit it allows me to do something with the people that are closest to me that have supported me that have loved me it allows me to stay close to them and so this sport of golf allows me to do that and and secondly it allows me to have something to look forward to. I think a lot of people right now in society and then just with the world feels like there's just a lot going on and that people either are just going to work and then they come home and then they go to work and then they come home and it's this cycle of just, what, what what do I have to look forward to? For me, my next golf tournament, whether it's two weeks or two months or next year, I know I have something to look forward to and prepare for and compete for. And that makes me a better person.' It'll, it, it 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 makes me treat my body better. It makes me treat my mind better. It, it makes me happier, and it makes everything in my orbit and in my world better. And so the power sport allows me to compete. and I think when we're competing, whether we're competing against ourselves like we discussed earlier or with, uh, against other people in a tournament, we fire. That there are things inside of us that fire and that just get fired and senses that sort of we don't feel in everyday life that make us makes us feel more alive. And so just that sense of competition that, that golf and sport allows me to partake in, being a 41-year-old balding old man with gray hair and the beard. I know that I can go compete against a 19-year-old kid from Claremont McKenna Incredible. Like we, uh, earlier and have a fair shot if I, if I prepare adequately and get myself in the right position to, to compete in that event. So I think it's really cool. I think sport is great. I think I love all sports and I just, I love learning about new sports and this sport that I've grown up with and it's been so ingrained in me. I I can't wait to see where it takes me hopefully the next 50 years. And I know it's going to be there a part of me for the rest of my life. And I just think that's really cool. And I hope other people can experience that at some point in their life with whatever they play, and whatever sport they enjoy.
1: Really appreciate you saying all that, Pat. And thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with me and with my audience as well. It's been really great to talk to you and I really appreciate you taking the time and maybe in those next 50 years, you and I will play a round of golf together. That'd be fun. I promise I won't ask you for any tips. I'm hopeless anyway. There's no point.
2: Happy to do it. Hopefully we can. uh Uh, Thanks for having me on. It's great to be in a great company with your other guests and uh, let's go play and we'll take Chris's money when we go TN. Okay.
1: (laughs) It sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Pat. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for listening. It's hard to believe this is episode number 30, and I really appreciate all of you who are listening out there. If you do enjoy the show, please tell your friends Review uh, the show on Apple Podcasts and give it five stars if you like it. I'd love to share the show with more people. So please spread the word and have a great day.